especially a day like today where we have had the opportunity to see our brother Gary give his life to you before Christ and before the world and before the church family. But Lord, not as we're about to get into the scriptures, you know that we never open the Bible without calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit for wisdom, clarity, understanding, that we can see what it is that you prepare for us today. I ask, Father God, that you anoint my lips and prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. Today we're going to talk about another parable, as you know, those of you who may be here for the first time, for the past several weeks and weeks, we've been going through all the parables of Jesus, and yes, early on we haven't been going through the the most famous ones, maybe not even the longest ones, there's usually parables that are like a verse long or two. Today is no different. We're going to have you go with me so we can look at this parable, Matthew 13, 44, and I think we should have it up on the screen. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like, and it says again because Jesus has been talking about how the kingdom of heaven is like. So Matthew 13, 44, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's easy to read through this and skip to the very next verse where he talks about the peril and everything else, but this parable right here has a lot of meaning and a lot of power. Let me give you a little bit of background about this idea of the hidden treasure. See, back in the day, back in the day, people that did well, uh, they, they, they store their money, they store their treasures, but they didn't have banks the way that we have banks now or in a matter that is trustworthy, that is FDIC insured, whatever it is. So, so people used to have the practice of finding comfort in burying a treasure in the ground. Many reasons why they did that were well, looters would come and rob them. Also, whenever there was a change in leadership in the regime and the new head honcho came, usually those who were doing well they got hit harder. They, they, were, they were collected from a bit more. And so depending on who was in leadership, they could ask for more or less. They would ask for a tribute from those individuals. Other times, because the folks around the times of Jesus, they had invasions all of the time, fighting and everything. Armies would come not only to conquer, but to loot whatever is there. So it was a normal practice for them to go right ahead and bury the treasure somewhere in the ground, somewhere in the land, somewhere where no one may notice, and that was the common practice. Now here's what happens, though. Many of them, whether they got sick, whether they were in prison, or even kicked out of the community. You know, an army came. This is over now. My place. Get out. And now this is the house that I'm keeping and it's mine. So whatever it was, whether they were exiled, whether they were in prison, whether death become them or ill, many a time that treasure will go long forgotten. And so then you have another practice where people didn't, couldn't afford a particular land, so they would rent a land so that they could plant stuff and make a living out of there and give the landowner a little bit of money. So what's happening here in the parable of Jesus is that you have someone who was working this land, most likely renting the land from, from someone, and when they got in there and they're, they're working it, they, they, they got the tools and everything and plowing through, he discovers something. 
He gets really excited when he sees the church. He's like, ooh, I'm not going to dig out more because this, this looks like it's going to be something big. So he covers it all up. He puts it back in there. And then he goes and sells everything that he has so that he can buy that field. And his family thinks that he is completely crazy. I mean, can you picture this? When you think you found something and you give everything up. There's a documentary on Netflix right now, this lady that, that talks about downsizing and, you know, minimizing things and decluttering things and, you know, something ridiculous like you should only limit yourself to 30 books, you know, silly things like that. And, and, and it says if you don't love it, see how you feel about these things, get rid of it and minimize and it's a minimalistic mindset and I get that. But, you know, could you imagine going through that? And try to figure out what to get rid of, what not to get rid of, and how much it hurts. I mean, right now, I got 18 suits sitting in my closet that no longer fit. And I just don't want to just give them to Goodwill. I'm trying to figure out what to do with them. It's hard to part. But here you have this guy got rid of everything. I mean, everything that he had to buy that particular field. And so... The family thinks it's crazy, and I want you to hear this thought from Christ's Object Lessons 104. It says, this parable illustrates the value of the heavenly treasure and the effort that should be made to secure it. The finder of the treasure in the field was ready to part with all that he had, ready to put forth untiring labor in order to secure the hidden riches. So the finder of the heavenly treasure will count no labor too great and no sacrifice too dear in order to gain the treasures of truth. So here's what it is in the parable. Number one, the field is the Holy Scriptures. Your Bible, that Bible that we just gave you, Gary, your Bible, your Scriptures. I have it digitally here, but I also have it tons of them at home that I study with. And so your Bible is that particular field, the Holy Scriptures. And the gospel message, the good news about Christ Jesus, is the treasure that you will find in the Scriptures. And so here's, with that being said, now that you're getting an idea of, of what, that, what that means, and I don't think that's the right quote up there, uh, but anyhow, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go to that one in a little bit. But anyhow, but what they have there with the treasure is as follows. Could you imagine how many people walk by that field that this guy discovered that treasure in? How many of them lay under a tree in that field, had a lunch break, take, take some shade under one of the trees in there, and never realized the deep treasures that were within it? I mean, you're talking about a fortune, and many of them maybe passed by, leaned around, walked all over it, and did not notice and were none the wiser. And so I'm wondering, I am wondering how many of us with our day-to-day, -day, our own agendas, the things that we do, we pass by that biblical field that is collecting dust somewhere in our closet, somewhere in our dresser, even if you have it that close to you, maybe in the nightstand beside you, and you just don't open it up and have neglected or failed to realize the treasure that is within. Come on now. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want you to understand this. You're saying, yeah, Joey, I know that's kind of silly, and you're, you're, you're giving us a low blow, jabbing us a little bit with that. Of course I take out my Bible once in a while to show people that I do have a Bible. But do you actually open it 
and reading it. This is a field that has been neglected and has an amazing treasure inside. Let me tell you something else. Let me tell you something that, that I want you to understand, and then we'll go to that quote that is up there. Here's the thing. The whole Jewish economy was all about the Messiah. You have to understand that in Genesis, from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, when they fell, immediately there was a prophecy made about, you know, that whole enmity between you and the seed and crushed the head and, and bruised his heels. Are you familiar with that? That was a prophecy about the Messiah coming to save us all. From that time, from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob, over and over, going to make your father many nations as the stars and the seas. You can't count them. And Messiah is going to come. Messiah is going to come. The whole Old Testament points towards the cross of Jesus and towards the coming of the Messiah. And when he came, the very priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Israelite nation that was chosen to tell people that the Messiah was coming, they failed to recognize him. They completely missed the point that he was the Messiah. He wasn't Christly enough for them. He wasn't messianic enough for them. You know what? Everything that we have pointed at you, but what you're saying, this silly stuff, like if somebody forces you to carry their bag for one mile, carry it too. If somebody asks you to take the coat off your back, give them everything. If, if somebody hits you in your one cheek, turn it and give him the other one. I mean, this idea of humility, service, love, patience, and peace. You're talking about we've made a fortune of ourselves preaching about the Messiah, and this Messiah is a broke carpenter who is telling me that we need to do all this silly stuff. I am too proud to turn the other cheek. I am too proud. You tell me to walk one mile, not one more step. Go ahead, make me, because that's who we are. And so because Jesus did not meet their criteria... They fail to recognize who he was. Christ's object lesson, page 105, as we have on the screen. God does not conceal his truth from men. By their own course of action, they make it obscure to themselves. Christ gave the Jewish people abundant evidence that he was the Messiah. But his teaching called for a decided change in their lives. They saw that if they received Christ, they must give up their cherished maxims and traditions, their selfish, ungodly practices. It required a sacrifice to receive chainless internal truth. Therefore, they would not admit the most conclusive evidence that God could give to establish faith in Christ. They professed to believe the Old Testament scriptures, yet they refused to accept the testimony contained therein concerning Christ's life and his character. They were afraid of being convinced lest they should be converted and be compelled to give up their preconceived opinions. The treasure of the gospel, the way, the truth, and the life was among them. But they rejected the greatest gift that heaven could bestow. See, there is a treasure found in the scriptures, which is the gospel, which is all about Christ Jesus. It is not difficult to find, but the problem that we have is that we are not searching. And we are not willing to give up and sell all for that treasure. That's what this parable is all about. He discovered a treasure. He was in the field. Immediately heated back up. Went back home. Got rid of everything. Everybody thought he was crazy. And we are afraid to even give up five minutes of sleep to get up in the morning and do a one paragraph devotional. Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. 
I mean, understand this. Here is the treasure found in the Word of God, plain and simple. If you listen to nothing else in today's message, now you can start daydreaming after this. It is this. There is a treasure. And what is it that you're willing to trade for it? Or what is it that it is worth your own salvation? Because that's what happens to the Jewish economy when Christ came. They were just simply not willing to give up their comforts for them. John chapter 12, verse 42, and we should have that on the screen in a moment. John chapter 12, verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, among the rulers, many believe him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not what? Confess him. They did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogues. This is too comfortable. I'm enjoying my position. I'm enjoying my title. And therefore, I will not confess God, even though I believe in the Messiah, because I did not want to get put out of the synagogue because of those Pharisees. Because they're not fair, you see, like that song. And, And so here's the thing. Three churches that I'm working with right now, and I remember my conversation with all three, with all three other boards. Uh, and I remember one of the churches in particular. I won't say which one, but that's okay. But they say, you know, we need you, Joey, to come in here. We need to make a change. We need transformation. Our young people are gone. The old people are dying. There's nobody else left. We need something. We need you to really give us Christ and bring transformation to this community. But we want you to do it without changing absolutely anything about our program or services. If you keep doing the same thing over and over, and you expect different results, it is the very definition, or one of the very definitions, of insanity. Plain and simple. How do you expect a transformation with doing nothing? I mean, we are in the pill business. I don't want to exercise or eat right. Just give me some kind of magic pill that I eat it today, and tomorrow morning I wake up, whoa, look at me, Right? Because I refuse to work. There's an old saying in my old gym that says, no pain, no gain. And I love that because it does hurt. I mean, sometimes I work out and I'm so sore. My kids poke me. So I'm like, oh, no, not today. You know, I mean, you feel it. There has to be something. And you cannot expect to grow in Christ, to have a relationship with Christ, by spending absolutely no time with Christ. You cannot expect to find a treasure when you're refusing to let go of other things. There's a treasure right there. Pick it up. I can't because I'm holding on dearly to whatever this is. And apparently this is worth more than that. And so here you have in the very scriptures, in that very text right there in John 12, 42, how many of them believe, many of the rulers believe, but they did not want to lose their membership in the local synagogue. God forbid that they exchange the books of heaven for the books here on earth. Come on now. And so I want to ask you a question, rhetorical question, of course. I, I do like interaction, but I want you to think about this. What is causing you to give up your heavenly treasure? It's a fear of getting kicked out of the synagogue. It's a, your selfish, ambitious, your, your thoughts. It's a worldly riches. What is it? It's an honor. It's a power. It's a glory here among everybody else. I had someone that, t- that told me once upon a time, and I thought it was the most interesting saying, I'd rather rule in hell than serving heaven. Come on now, tell me you haven't thought about it from, from time to time. Don't just wow, or mm-hmm, or amen, the person next to you, mm-hmm, amen, okay? Come on, you know you've doubted it from time to time. I mean, think about it. Things is going well. Praise God, praise God. Something goes wrong. Why, God? It happens. It is okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so here's what happens. Here's what happens. It is not difficult to find that hidden treasure. The treasure's out in the open right there for you. But our traditions, our ideas, our presuppositions, our own things, we're holding onto them so tight that we cannot see the treasure that are in the scriptures. People who are intellectual and bright see and say, wow, you know what, I'm too smart for all of this. You're too smart for your own good. Uh, this is just silly, petty stuff. No, it is not. It's something deeper if you're really looking earnestly. Second Corinthians chapter 4, the very next book, a couple of chapters later. Chapter 4, beginning on verse 3, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine upon them. The treasure is there. If you can't see it, ask yourself, what are you trading for it? Why is it that you don't see the beauty in the scriptures and the beauty in the gospel message found in the word of God? Now, how valuable is this treasure? Well, let's let the scriptures talk. Matthew 16, 26. 16, 26. Matthew 16, 26, and it says the following, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you thought about this? What is it? Is it that you were afraid to admit your wrongs to someone and apologize? Is it that somebody wronged you and you wanted to hold on to dear life to your anger against them? I've said the same before and I say it again and you will hear it over and over again. When God forgave you, was it that he was wrong and you were right? Or was it that he was right and you were wrong and he still forgave you? So if somebody has crossed you, especially if they wrong you, you should go out of your way to seek reconciliation and forgiveness. Now, I will say this, not always is reconciliation safe. So sometimes simple forgiveness needs to be. Like, you know, if you have a husband that has put you in the hospital five times and the last time barely alive, maybe you shouldn't reconcile, but you can at least forgive that individual. That is definitely the thing that you must do. So reconciliation is not always a given. But forgiveness is always a must. What is it? Is it that anger and that bitterness? Is it that pride that you're holding on to? What are you trading for your soul? This is godly business. Godly business. Job 28, beginning on verse 14. Job 28, 14, it says, The deep says, it is not me. And the sea says, it is not me. Verse 15, it cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. Verse 16, it cannot be valued in the gold of Orphur, in, in precious onyx or sapphire. 17, neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. And 18, no mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The value in the treasures here is above everything. Every precious stone, every riches, everything that you can possibly imagine. Absolutely everything. I don't know if you've heard, there's a variation of this little like um, story or puzzle that we hear from time to time. Uh, 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 a young elementary school kid is up for a dollar today or 
$1,000 at the end of the school year, and most of the time he'll take the dollar today because he'd rather, you know, exchange $1,000 10 months from now for a dollar right now. Give me, give me, give me, give me. And you're saying, yeah, what a silly little boy. I, I see it all of the time. When I used to do financial investments with Edward Jones, I see it where people would say, oh, you will not believe this. I just finished cleaning out my 401K because I needed to buy this or buy that. I'm saying, oh, my, oh, me, oh, my. You know, those six, seven, eight, nine thousand, ten dollars $10, whatever you just pull out right now, when you were ready to retire in 20, 30 years, it would have meant so much more to you. And so you let a couple of grand right now mess you up where now you're on a fixed income for the rest of your life when you retire. And, 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 you know, you have to eat ramen noodles and stuff and, you know, those kind of things. Don't get me wrong. They got me through college. I get it. But, you know, when you work your whole life, it shouldn't be about that. And, And so you are exchanging the one for the other. What are you doing? And then, of course, I saw also more savvy people who actually invested, invested in their retirement and, and they're, they're well off now. They have more than, than what they can do. But here's the thing. That little boy that traded a dollar for the thousand or you who cashing your, your, your uh, IRA now or, or, or whatever it, it may be now, 401k for, for, for a little bit. You know, are we doing that, the equivalent of that when it comes to our salvation? Don't you know that many pastors will not be safe? Don't you know that many church-going people who show up here would not be saved? I dare say, and I'm not saying this to scare the Hades out of you like they did to me when I was growing up. I'm saying the biblical truth. Many of you sitting here may not even make it. The Bible says that not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. These are Christian people who worship God. These aren't atheists or any of those communities that you say, oh, those people. Uh Uh-uh. These are you people who are not going to make it because it's not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, Lord. What are you trading for that treasure? What are you trading for that treasure? Now, what happens if you neglect the treasure? Well, you guys remember Adam and Eve. You know, the devil is really good at deceiving people. He is really, really good. And if you're not studying deep into the scriptures of God, deception can come so easily. And and, and so, you know, you're spending your life to try to fill a void with other things of the world. Oh, if I only had this house, if I only had this car, if I only had this thing, if I only had that job. And you're forgetting that the only thing that can fill that void in your heart is Christ. Nothing else. You could search happiness everywhere and anywhere, but only Christ can fill that. If you wonder why it is that no matter what you do, you still feel empty inside, why don't you try searching the scriptures for Christ and see what happens? Search and search and search. Mark chapter 12, 24. Mark 12, 24. It says the following. Jesus answered and said to them, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures and the power of God? People who made mistakes, who had a misunderstanding. You know, I, I was talking to somebody this morning in Sabbath school. By the way, collegiate people. I know it's early in the morning, but we have a collegiate class right across in the fellowship hall. Uh, and we were meeting there this morning. One of the gentlemen was sharing how they're, they're talking to someone who just had a victory over cancer. But now, even though they gave glory to God, they might give giving glory to other things. And, 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 and so they're sort of exploring. And, and so this is the part where searching the scriptures is important so that you give credit to whom credit is given. We we have this thing that when we get a blessing, we say, you know what? It was my own smarts, my own intellect, my own well-doing. It was just pure luck or pure coincidence. But when something goes wrong, why, God? 
And yet, the one that is responsible for all of the evil, all of the bad, all of the sin, all of the hatred, all of the pain and suffering in this world is the devil, and he gets absolutely no credit. We give that to God. And when good things happen, it was just chance. It was just pure luck. Really? Was it? I mean, come on. You know, I... I um, I'll give you just a, just a very, very brief, brief example of some blessings that you think, oh, it's because of your own thing. You know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a family that was in need. I, I, I wrote them, I sent them $150. That very night, I finished doing marriage counseling. And, and no, I've been doing marriage counseling for almost 20 years. In March, will be 20 years. This is the first time ever I get a thank you card with a check inside that had $300 double of what I had just given that family. And, you know, and then I would have said, you know what, because my counseling skills are up. This is all good. No, no. Thank you, Father God. You just double what I just gave to this family in need. And, and you know, you know how I be doing it. So, so, I mean, thank you. I recognize that this is from you. I mean, it's little things like that, but we have that tendency. Search the scriptures. So you, don't, so you know where the power is coming from, so that you're not distracted. Mark chapter 7, verse 7, we should have it on the screen as well. It says, and in vain they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of man. You know what messes me up? You know what messes me up? I got into ministry because I believe that every soul matters. I believe that people matters. And you know what happens? I get folks in the church who get sick, have surgeries, do all these things. And they say, no, no, we don't want to bother you, pastor. We'll let you be. Like, that's the time that you call me. I want to pray with you. I want to spend time with you. And yet, I get hit up left and right about why don't we have the old pulpit on here? What happened to the chairs that we have here? Or the older flowers that have been here for 50 years and 100 years, and they show it. And you're saying, why? And so, you know, why was it that we prayed a little bit too long today? Or the sermon went an extra 10 minutes? Or, or whatever the case. Like, that's not important. People matter. And yet you're getting bent out of shape over a different pulpit versus the other one and whatever else. Like, like relax. It is okay. It is perfectly fine. People matter. Soul matters. Whether I'm standing behind something clear or something big and brown, it doesn't matter. The Word of God is what matters. You get the Word of God. You get it inside of you. You go out there. You share the gospel with the world. Oh, why did we put the scripture reading before the special music or the special music? Who cares? Let's mix things up. It's all good. You know, this, this is, this is, there's more important things than our traditions and our steps. And yet in vain do we worship him, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of man. There's a treasure to be found. There's a treasure to be found. Christ Object Lessons, page 111. But the more... But there must be earnest study and close investigation. Sharp, clear perceptions of truth will never be rewarded of indolence. No earthly blessing can be obtained without earnest, patient, preserving, uh, sorry, persevering effort if men attain success in business. They must have a will to do and faith to look for results. And we cannot expect, expect to gain spiritual knowledge without earnest toil. Those who desire to find the treasures of truth must dig for them as the miners dig for the treasure hidden in the earth. No half-hearted, indifferent work will avail. 
It is essential for old and young not only to read God's words, but to study it with wholehearted earnestness, praying and searching for truth as for hidden treasure. Those who do this will be rewarded, for Christ will quicken their, the understanding. Here's the thing, and, and Ellen White gives an example here in Christ Object Lessons. If you ever started a business, anybody here, business, business owner, started a business? Raise your hands, yes, a couple, okay. All right, now, now let me ask you, are you going to sit, for those of you who started businesses, sit at home and wait for the business to just take off on its own? Or at first, are you like the president, the secretary, the janitor, the, the publisher? The, I mean, you're doing it all. You are working, you're battling, you're, you're getting the business up and rolling. You are putting hard work into it because you reap what you sow. Remember that from a couple of sermons ago? You, you, you get out of it what you put into it. How is it that you're saying I can't hear the voice of God? I wish I had the faith that you have, Joey. Why is it that whatever it is available to you and for free? Yes, but you have to be willing to search the scriptures and search for those treasures. You cannot expect to have a relationship with God by only spending an hour with him, with me here on Sabbath. That's not enough. Imagine if I only saw my wife once a week. How, how much of a, re- for an hour? How much of a relationship is that really? Why do we expect it to be any different with God? John 14. 13 through 14. You want to get closer to God? You want to know more about him? And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is not one of those anythings where you haven't talked to God in forever. You cast yourself in a bind. And I say, God, if you get me out of this one. I'll promise to do X, Y, and Z. He'll probably get you out to see if you follow through on that promise, but you got to follow through. You know, you got to go right ahead and spend some time with God. Now, I'm not saying that our salvation is by works. Our salvation is by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, and I get that. But how will you get to explore that gift, trust in that gift, rely on that gift, and have faith in God when things look ugly, dark, and dim unless you develop a relationship with him? You know, right now, you could tell me anything about my wife, and I can tell you, you know what, I believe it or don't believe it. Why? Because I know her. You tell me something about one of my three or four hundred cousins that I have, you know what, last time we got together was like 20 years ago, and uh, I kind of didn't like him then. He ate my mango, and I wasn't happy, and, you know, so, 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 of course, I would doubt, and I would question. We doubt, and we question God, especially when the devil tells us lies, because we don't know him, and we haven't spent time with him. So ask him anything, and it will be given to you. Lord, I want to know you. I want to see your face. Show me your glory. I want to hear your voice. Ask him, and he will give it to you. Here's the reward of searching. Last two verses for today, John 17, 3. John 17, 3, and it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is the reward of searching the scriptures. In Proverbs chapter 2. Beginning on verse 3. Yes, if you cry out of discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. Verse 4. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So that one parable of the hidden treasure is a very simple one. A man found it and so all he had to buy that field because he knew how precious it was. What is it that you're holding on to that is causing you 
the heavenly treasure. And isn't it time you got rid of it all? After all, it is a precious one, and it's not difficult to find. Let us pray. Father God, we love you, and we thank you. Lord, this is a very simple, short parable, one verse, just a couple of words. But Father God, many a time we are exchanging our comfort. We are exchanging our sleep. We could get up any day of the week for a job interview, for court, for whatever. But God forbid we come up early just to study the Bible. Father God, we could spend hours watching television. But God forbid we read five minutes of a chapter in your scriptures. Lord, isn't it time? Give us the strength, the ability, the will, and the desire. Don't let this be out of guilt, but out of reflection in our own lives. That it is time that we need to trade it all for that precious treasure of Christ Jesus, the one that died for us and that is soon coming back to take us home. The Jewish economy was based on the Messiah, and they missed it when he came. Father God, help us not repeat the saying. Help us look forward into that glorious appearing. Until that day, may you bless us and keep us. It is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.